Welcome to the Living Word Podcast. To find out what we're up to, check us out online at dlwc.network. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. And so the story of the Bible doesn't begin in Genesis. It actually begins with the, with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no story. Nothing to tell. Because people die, but not everybody gets up. I need a good amen right there. Come on, if you tell people you're going to die and then rise from the dead, actually Peter said, not so, Lord, you know, far be it from you and so forth. He said, get behind me, Satan. How many of you know that was a tough moment for that boy? But, but in other words, this is the reason that I came. And it's not just to die. Thank God that was necessary transaction. But to raise from the dead, that's the substance of the new covenant. And when you get that and when you understand that today, again, if Jesus stayed dead, there is no story. And so Jesus being risen from the dead is the reason why your Bible actually exists. And so thank God we've got four accounts called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the lifestyle and testimony of the quotes of the eyewitnesses and the fellowship of the disciples themselves who told us those, the story of the New Testament through the Gospels. Each one of them has their own perspective. It's wonderful. And so those documents became immediately credible wherever the gospel had gone. As the church began to grow and began to thrive, not only in Jerusalem, throughout Israel, but also throughout the Mediterranean rim, people being saved by the thousands, then they had no Bible to read. No Bible. And so here they were, not raised in a Jewish culture, raised in a polytheistic sort of a culture, suddenly hearing about Jesus and coming to the Lord. Powerful things going on, no Bible. Suddenly, these writings began to circulate, like the book of Luke. He said many of these writings capturing an, uh, an organized account of, of the of, uh, life of Jesus, and, so, and these are circulating around the world. And can you imagine? You've heard the gospel, you've believed in Jesus, but you've, you've never gotten anything that an eyewitness account has told you. Suddenly, you get an eyewitness account of the entire life of Jesus. And you, I mean, imagine the thrill that goes through your heart. As we said before, great persecution arose because of it. As a matter of fact, persecution began to arise. But the church continued to grow, grew magnificently. And when the Gentile writers and so forth, first and second century, began to uh, get these writings and circulate them around and so forth, they, were, they began to be interested in the backstory because Jesus quoted so much from the Old Covenant, the Law and the Prophets. And so they, they said, well, this, if he's getting these quotes here, maybe we need to look this up. We didn't give much reason to study the Jewish religion, but let's study the, the origin of Messiah and how it all came. So they began to read the Old Covenant and, and incorporated in Christian Scripture the Old Covenant. They, again, the, the Law and the Prophets wasn't just Jewish Scripture. It was Christian Scripture. And they incorporated that into the collection of all these writings that they came up with. But it's important. Eventually, the law and the prophets became Christian scripture, and that's really important. I have a whole message, really, that really goes into this, this section right here. Don't have time to preach all of it. But in any case, we're going to preach what we can and then go home and be good. <laughs> but these circulating letters circulated by Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, which is really Peter's dictation to Mark, 
And the book of Luke, Luke, the historian, went and asked the stories, interviewed eyewitnesses and so forth, and here they came. And, of course, John was there himself the entire time. And so all of these things. And then, then you get, beyond the Gospels, you get the writings, of what's called epistles, which is letters written to churches that the Apostle Paul has established. And Paul went throughout the Asian Rim, Asia Minor, up in towards Europe and so forth, and, and heading that way up the Mediterranean. And he preached the gospel in all these places. And I mean, magnificent ma numbers of people were giving their lives to Jesus. And so he begins to write them letters of what he had preached to them and remind them and correcting them when necessary and, and so forth. And matter of fact, there's correction in every letter, letter except Ephesians. And that's the reason why I like Ephesians so much. I don't get rebuked so bad, amen. But it's, but it's important. Paul was an extraordinary character. Matter of fact, he had probably more to do with the transformation of Western culture and influence in the world than any of the other 12 disciples combined. And so Paul has an extraordinary role in, the, in the, the story of the Bible. So the Apostle Paul, known as Saul of Tarsus, how many remember the Saul of Tarsus? And in the book of Acts, the Bible says he's on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. And Jesus meets him there, and his life turns around. Amazing. And so, again, Paul was a, is a big deal, but he didn't think he was a big deal. Paul didn't assume that he was a big deal. Matter of fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 9, he said, I'm not even worthy to be called apostle because I persecuted the church. He said, that's, that's what I did. I'm not worthy to be called apostle. I'd like to break that word down for you, but I don't have time. But literally, the, uh, an apostle is one who establishes a Christian culture in a non-Christian world. I'm sorry. I, that's as far as I'm going. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so once you begin to understand, Paul's not coming at this from an egocentric sort of, a, I'm building my church. No, he was building his church. Amen. He was just glad. Matter of fact, most of the time in the, in the letters of Paul, the Pauline epistles, they call them, that when he introduces himself, he calls himself a doulos, a servant, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where he equated his influence. I'm just serving Jesus. And so Paul didn't start out again as an advocate. He started out as an adversary of Jesus. He persecuted the church. He knew the law and the prophets inside and out. And his attempt to put the lights out on the church was for, for a reason he considered good. These people are messing with the law. They're hijacking the traditions of the, of the forefathers and so forth. And they're, they're kind of saying the temple worship is no longer necessary and, and so forth. And for a law guy, I mean, that's, that's fighting words right there. And so he came out fighting and he's going to stamp out this whole sect of the Nazarene thing that is going on. But it just kept flourishing. He was authorized by the Sanhedrin to come and throw them in jail and to persecute them, even kill them. And these are people that did nothing wrong other than just believe and love Jesus. So here we go. And all of a sudden, God raises up this man, this persecutor and harasser of great people. And he's used by God to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Don't you find that amazing? How many of you know God always calls the unlikely to do the impossible? And that's the story of the Apostle Paul, News at 11. So he's an amazing guy. He, he's, 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 Saul is his, his Hebrew name. 
Paul is his Greek name, and he's a Roman citizen, and so he uses that to preach the gospel. It's a great, great story. The book of Acts has it all. But understand today that God chose this man with this kind of background to take the gospel into the pagan world of polytheistic ideas and many gods sort of an idea. And Paul moves right on in there. What I'm, what I'm telling you, God used this man in such enormous ways. There is hope for all of us, no matter where you think you've fallen. Uh, come on. I don't care what you've done. You hadn't done near as much as Paul did to damage the church. And God used him in a dynamic way. What can he do with you? It's a good question. So Paul has an enormous role in the writing of the Bible. Secondly, there's three things I believe that Paul would say to all of us on the reception of getting our own Bibles. He said, as we get ready to read our Bibles, I think Paul would, would say several things. There's a reason why he's a primary character here. First of all, he wrote 13 books of it. He wrote 13 books, some to churches that he established, some to individuals. And so he writes these, these books. He didn't know that he was writing the Bible, however, and this is really key. I've said this throughout this series. Jesus or, or Paul did not know he was writing Bible. Nobody sat down, wrote any of the things in the Bible, and think, I'm, reading, I'm writing Bible. No one's saying that. No one's thinking that. They all have purpose behind what they're doing. They all have context. And the reason why they're in your Bible is because of who's writing and what they said. And that's it. And so, secondly, he explains the different parts of Old and New Testament and how to relate to both because he is a key man who understood the law and the prophets probably more than anyone in his day. And also, because of his divine encounter that he had on the road to Damascus, he knows by revelation Jesus and the revelation of the Lord and how the Old Testament points. Matter of fact, throughout the Word in the book of Acts, that Paul would go from place to place taking the Old Testament Scripture and showing a Messiah in Jesus Christ. Amen. And he would show them. This is what the Word says, and this is the one we've been waiting for. And that would be his message over and over again, especially in a Hebrew context. Jews believed on him, but boy, he got harassed by the Sanhedrin. Horrible. Persecution came. But he was able to explain the differences. And so, Paul, if you have confusion between the two testaments, ask Paul. He's your guy. Because he really had it. And so he explained how the Christians should use the Old Testament because he was an expert at it. Matter of fact, he will go and tell you his own his pedigree in Philippians chapter number 3. He said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, blah, blah, blah. And he goes through all of his pedigree and says, I count all these things lost for the excellency of Christ. And so that's the temperature on the Apostle Paul. In one day, this guy's life turned to 180, and he went from persecutor to preacher of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And so, man, how many of you like an encounter with Jesus on the way home? Amen. A turnaround comes. Here it comes. A persecutor of the church is the man that has deep insights of Jesus Christ and his messianic role and his redemptive power to change a life. And so Paul clearly is an extraordinary guy with regard to being able to explain the difference between all of that. And then Paul would have been, uh, in, in our day, he, again, he would have said two things to us, I think. Regarding the reading of the Old Testament, he would have said, use the Old Testament for inspiration and motivation and draw its principles 
but you're not going to get necessarily your application of a lifestyle out of the old covenant because you're not going to do temple sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and so forth. And so understand there's a lot of it that's going, all of the Old Testament actually points to Jesus. And so you're not necessarily going to get your application, and Paul would tell you that. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, he goes through a little bit of that. And so it's important for you to know it was written for our learning. So now it was the schoolmaster, Galatians says, to bring us to faith in Christ. Amen? And so it's, it's one thing to learn about Jesus coming. It's a whole other thing to see him, and there he is. How many of you know that there him is is there him is. <laughs> I've been listening to my grandsons too much. A little Henryism coming out of me there. So now, now keep in mind, Paul wrote this passage, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 16, 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, there is no scripture, there is no New Testament when he said that. No New Testament. So he's not talking about New Testament, he's talking about Old Testament, which adds to the veracity and the inspiration that you get out of the Old Testament. It's all inspired by God and it all points to Jesus. Amen? And so, so, the, so the, the point is study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so that's Paul's point is that it's all given by inspiration, but you've got to discern how to use it. And so he would tell you, you've got to discern how to use it. So study. So the entire Old Testament is a contract between God and a nation called Israel established through a man named Abraham. And, and through that covenant, that contextual understanding of all, all the rugged detail of what it took for God to preserve a nation in the midst of a sinful and corrupt world, and corruption would seep in them all the time. And so God would have to deal ruthlessly with the nation of Israel that I'm going to make this covenant with you, and I'm going to bless you if you obey. If you disobey, I'm going to have to punish you, and the whole world's going to watch because I'm making a point here. Because you're pointing towards something. It's not about Israel. It's about what you're bringing into the world. Yes. And it's Jesus. Yes. And so the contract through the law. And any time they'd have a king who'd get off track, they'd, God would raise up a prophet and rebuke him. Okay? And, and when they wouldn't listen to the prophets, well, sometimes Babylon's going to teach, teach the lesson for you. Bondage is going to teach you. And so in any case, it's, there's so much of that that happens throughout the Old Covenant, and it's raw detail, and you say, well, I don't believe, I don't like reading the Old Covenant. Listen, you need to know what Jesus saved you from. Yes. You read the Old Covenant, you'll find out in living color what Jesus saved you from. Because it all points to him, and Paul would tell you that. That today, according to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 8, verse number 6, you've got a better covenant established upon better promises. Amen. Thank God. Today we live in grace. And today, understanding life in grace, it seems normal. But 2,000 years ago, it wasn't so. It wasn't so. And so secondly, I think the apostle Paul would say, take your application through Jesus' New Testament commandment. Singular. See, God didn't give us... Laws like he did Moses. Moses didn't come off the mountain with 10 commandments. He came off with 613. Hello. Just try, to, just try to memorize that, much less do it. Are you with me? 
Come on, there's all kinds of prohibitions. Don't do that. Don't eat that. Don't go there. On this day, do nothing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it just goes right on down the road. Jesus said it's all fulfilled in one word. John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And see, the thing about the love of God is that if you love somebody, you shall not murder them. Why? Because you love them instead. So that's wiped off, okay? You're not going to covet your, other, your brother's goods and, and all the stuff he's got and so forth and his family and his wife and blah, blah, blah. You're not going to do any of that. Why? Because you love him or her. So you understand that the laws of love is a fulfillment of the law. And so once you begin to get that, then the ultimate ethic for Christian behavior is the love of God. And the Bible says in Romans that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And then in Jesus, from that place, John 13 is the upper room discussion that he's having with them. He's washed their feet. He's telling them all these different things, the dialogue that happens in chapter 15 of John and 16 and, and all these different explanations through 17. Jesus immediately goes out and he begins to demonstrate the love of God by dying in your place. Amen. Giving himself the perfect man, the untouchable man. Because they tried to kill him before, just walk right through him. This time he was giving his life. And he demonstrated his love for us while he stretched out his hands and died and breathed his last. So if you want to know if God loves you, now you know. And he demonstrated his own commandment for us by doing what he did for you and for me. And so it's important for us to then begin to glean from Paul. Again, Paul doesn't give us commandments. He just gives us applications of the commandment of love. And so over and over again, how many of you know he wrote 1 Corinthians 13? The love chapter in your Bible said, you know, if you make all kinds of racket for the glory of God and so forth, but if you don't do it in love or if you give your body to be burned or you give away all your goods, and if you don't do it in love, it profits you nothing. And he begins to explain what the love of God is. That's the Apostle Paul giving those explanations. Or he would say in Philippians chapter number 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. And so that suddenly now the love of God is a servant proposition for all of us. We serve one another. We love one another. Or the book of Galatians says, says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so that's what the love of God does. It fulfills the love of Christ. How you do that? Bearing one another's burdens, coming alongside, helping one another. And so suddenly there's practical application happening in these clarifications that Paul is giving. What's he giving? He's giving clarification about what Jesus told us in John 13. And so it's important really to grasp that. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, Philippians 4.32 says. Why? Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Come on. And so as Jesus did, as I have loved you, so you also love one another. And so the application of those things, Paul brings great clarity to those things. Matter of fact, he says it this way. If you love God, understand something about the transaction of the cross. He says, you're no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your spirit and with your body, which is his. Huh. All of a sudden, I'm finding out, wait a minute, I don't belong to me. And if you're going to walk in love, you got to get over you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Go ahead and tell him right now. Come on, tell him right there at home. Give me a thumbs up at home. So take your behavioral cues, Paul would say, from the new covenant. 
Love is our brand. It's, it's what brings us, First John says, into the authentic testimony of Jesus. If we walk in love, they'll know you because you love. Amen. It's the mark of authenticity for every believer. And so Paul wrote it. He explained the relationship between it. And then I, this one's going to be a little heady. Number three, and I, I just want to explain beforehand, I've got a little bit of timeline in this. And so you might feel like you're in school, but I think you'll like it. And I'll tell you why. It's because some of you in the room, or maybe some of you have relatives, maybe even sons and daughters that went off to college and somebody talked them out of their faith. They brought up arguments in the name of being authentic with their information. In fact, the matter was their argument was flawed from the very beginning. And so that's part of the reason why I'm doing this series is to try to give you a pathway back into faith where maybe it's robbed from you from some pseudo-intellectual that didn't know beans from apple butter about it. You know, you can go to cemetery, I mean seminary, and learn some tough stuff. Seminary is awesome, so forth. thank God for the ones that are doing it right. But there's a lot that don't do it right. Philosophical preachers and so forth that call themselves college professors sometimes mess up a lot of folks. And if the arguments are legit, it's fine. It's, um, for the sake of argument, fine. But you better have your facts right. And so just, again, there's a, there's a reason why we have the Bible. And, and so some folks have kind of, kind of gotten caught in the web of this argument. And I'll address one of them here. And that is, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't really written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that it was actually much later in the, after the first century into the second century and that they, they wrote these things pretending that the resurrection was true and so forth, and it really was written much, much later. So the Christian community actually just wanted to push the myth down the road so the people that weren't there or didn't have access to that eyewitness sort of information that they would believe and just kind of kick the religion down the road here. And so that's, that's part of the argument. I know that's... that's that's hard to hear, but, but that's what a lot of folks have been told. And I'm just telling you, first of all, that's the wrong way of thinking, and it can't be true. And that's the reason why I want to bring you a timeline. I'm sorry, I don't want to bore you with this and so forth. I, you know, we'll lather one up next weekend. Amen. But why would someone, listen to me now, why would somebody in the first century abandon their religion for a Jewish sect lose their job, be ostracized from their family, persecuted for the rest of their life, worship not a new God, but the Jewish God, and the Jewish people don't even like you. Why would you do that? Who would do that? Who would give their life for a fallacy? And I'm just telling you, nobody. It's very difficult to make that case in the light of the fact that those were the things that actually happened to these witnesses. They wouldn't deny Jesus and lost their life over it because they were in the first century. They saw him. And the apostle Paul put some of them in jail and took some of them's life. So the problem with that argument is not necessarily found in the gospel. You can actually find it in what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Now, there's a couple of things. First of all, Paul's letter to the Corinthians is going to be an, an indisputable evidence just from the fact that we're dealing with the idea that it was written much later and it's not authentic and it wasn't even written by the authors with their names on it. Uh, it that, that, first of all, it, it's indisputable in Corinthians that the resurrection of Jesus was immediately accepted 
among the believers in the church. And 1 Corinthians is going to prove it to you. Now, now I'm going to give you a timeline. They'll put that up there for you so you can see what I'm talking about here. But first of all, no one disputes the fact the Apostle Paul is a historic character. Nobody does that, okay? He, he really walked the planet Earth, and he really wrote 1 Corinthians. All of that's indisputable, okay? Now, he wrote it around 55 A.D. So, so the Apostle Paul, you see the date up there. He actually wrote 1 Corinthians on in 55 A.D. So he wrote a letter to a church that he was actually at in 53 A.D., uh, Anos Domini, it's, it doesn't mean after death. B.C. is before Christ. Anos Domini means the year of our Lord. Okay, just so that you know. So there you go. Thank you, Pastor Pat. Amen for that tidbit of wisdom. Amen. So, so he, he's writing to the church at Corinth, the church that he planted three years before in, 50, in 52. And so after visiting the apostles in Jerusalem in 49 and in 40. So you see those dates up there? So he's getting eyewitness account people speaking into his life about what they experienced and, and, and the gospel. And he's talking to people like James and he's talking to people like Peter when he's at Jerusalem in 40 and in 49. And so in his conversion, it's interesting, his conversion was in 37 A.D., and so we're backing up here. And so he was converted then in 37, and Jesus died in 33 AD. And so the believers, if, if, if believers fabricated the story of the resurrection many years after that, that supposedly the gospel were written many years after, my question to you is, if it was written sometime 120 AD or, or 110 AD, How'd Paul know this stuff? How did Paul know what he wrote in 1 Corinthians if, because Paul wasn't one of the 12, he persecuted the church. So he wasn't in the club. He came afterwards, historically provable how he came to be the apostle Paul. Again, the question is, how does Paul know about all these different things written actually in the gospels? Paul says hundreds of believers in Jerusalem saw him alive and were immediately convinced that Jesus was alive. They saw him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. You got your Bibles? You might want to mark this one. You can look at it on the screens, those of you at home. Watch up. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that the gospel that I preached to you, that is, three years before, for what I received, I passed on to you. Where did he get it? Jerusalem. In 49 and in 40, as the first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he also appeared unto the 12. After that, he appeared unto more 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive. How you know that? I saw him. I talked to him in Jerusalem when I was there. Are you getting this? In other words, what he's telling them in 1 Corinthians, he's experienced and he's verifying, they told me themselves. And then he said, some have fallen asleep, which I find extremely sweet. Look, come on, if you're a believer, you don't fear death. Thank God you just fall asleep in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so there were hundreds that saw him 
who became Christians. And verse number seven says, and by the way, he said he appeared to James. He said, how do you know that, Paul? I talked to him. I was in Jerusalem a few years ago. Are you with me? In other words, James, the brother of Jesus. By the way, this is an interesting story about James. James was the brother of Jesus. Come on, how many of you know it's kind of hard to talk your brother into being the son of God? I'm the son of God. Yeah, right. Hello? You've been kissing up to mom all these years. Come on, all, the, all these kind of th- How many of you know it's difficult? And matter of fact, the Bible verifies that James was an unbeliever until he saw Jesus risen. Until James saw Jesus raised from the dead, he did not believe. Come on. I got the same mom you do. And I ain't God, so you ain't either. That's what he was saying. I mean, that's where he was. James ended up to be the head of the Jerusalem council in Jerusalem for the entire church. The question is why? Because he had nothing to do? Why would James become this, this guy that would end up, you know, why, why, would he, why would he write the book of James? Why would he be the, the, the head of the Jerusalem council? Because he wanted to be persecuted for the rest of his life? Because he was. Because he wanted to be ultimately martyred for his brother? No, that can't be the reason why. James believed that his brother was his Lord because he saw him risen from the dead. And that's the only reason that James did. Paul met James in Jerusalem and he told him the story. And so Paul is an extremely important part, a key to the verification and the veracity of the things that are written in the New Covenant. And it's all based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he didn't raise from the dead, there is no Bible, no story to tell. And so he wrote it, part of it. He, was, he explained the relationship between its different parts. And then he authenticated the most important story in it. And then there were other epistles that were written and circulated. So Paul established these churches and others, Peter and John and all these guys. They're out, they're out doing the gospel and establishing churches. Thousands of believers are popping up out of nowhere. And Paul, especially, the Gentile world is coming alive to Jesus. So it's amazing what's going on. And suddenly they're writing letters back and forth to the church. A lot of the letters that Paul had to write, he, he couldn't visit because he was in prison for preaching the gospel. So he's giving these letters and sending these letters. And it's what we call the book of Romans, the book of Mark. Actually, Paul hadn't been to Rome when he wrote Romans. That's amazing. Galatians, the region of Galatia. It's Turkey today. The region of Turkey is the region of Galatia and so forth. Churches planted all over the place there at Ephesus and and uh, uh, Thessalonica and all these different places. And he would send these letters, sometimes two. Sometimes they would circulate to all around these different places. Just wisdom from heaven for these precious people. Peter, John, James, Jude, they would all write these epistles and circulate throughout the, the region. And so all these were considered to be valuable testimonies, applications of the love of Jesus, the gospels being circulated around Asia Minor and around the Mediterranean Rim. And all these things were collected. And after the first century, the persecution that came up in Rome was absolutely brutal. And they, they, were, they were put in jail and martyred for even having one of these documents in their possession, a copy of a copy of a copy that were circulated throughout the world. It's amazing. And then all of a sudden, a brand new sheriff comes to town. 
A guy named Constantine becomes the emperor of Rome. And he takes the ban off of Christianity. And suddenly, scholars who are collecting all of these writings from all these different places begin to work out in the open. And it's amazing that the very empire that crucified Jesus funded the copying and the collection of all these documents. That's amazing, isn't it? And suddenly they could begin to work openly. In the late 4th century, they combined all of these books into an old, the Law and the Prophets became the Old Testament, and all these writings that had been collected from Matthew clear to Revelations and all these things became documents that they got together and it was called Ta Biblia. You know what Ta Biblia means? It means Bible, but you know what that means? The books. The books. The Word of God. The bestseller that the world has ever known is the Bible. And it shaped the entire Western culture of the world. And it shaped me. I read it all the time. I read it every day. When you know the despair, the anguish, and knowing that I didn't know enough to survive my own life, I got good news right out of the Word of God. Jesus became my hero. And it transformed my life. When I say you've got to have the Bible and you've got to understand what it is and you've got to value it and you've got to hide it in your heart. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart, O God, that I might not sin against thee. The word of God is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my pathway. If you're going to walk in the dark, you're going to bump into something and it might be dangerous. But turn the light on. Begin to know God, to know the God that's for you, to know the God that would die for you and rise from the dead and then be ever available for you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Know that story. Because when you know it, my dear friends, something begins to happen on the inside of you of a transformation. Paul said to the, to the people of Rome, he said, be not conformed to this world because it tries to form you into its own image. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's going to fly out of your life because you tucked it into your heart. Suddenly it became ammunition to fire at your enemies. It'll make you the best businessman that there could be. It'll also make you the best father or mother, son or daughter, the best citizen that the world has ever seen. Because it all emphasizes one thing. Walk in love and you fulfill the law. This series is not about the Bible creating Christianity. Because I'll just tell you, the Bible didn't create Christianity. And that sounds like a strange thing to say. Christianity is the result of, of, a, of an event. The resurrection of Jesus. That created a movement called the church that produced texts that were collected, protected, and bound into a book called the Bible. Christianity invented the Bible. The Bible didn't create Christianity. The story of the Bible reminds us that the question that you should not be asking is, do you have peace with everything written in the Bible? 
The question that you should be asking is, and the most important question, are you at peace with a God who would send his own son? That he would die for your sins and mine so that you could not only have Jesus' promises of eternal life and, and so many other things that he purchased it with his own blood, but have a relationship with the Father and live forever with the anguish taken away and the guilt taken away and the bondage taken away. And freedom is the best high in the world, friends. The best high in the world. You can't find it on a, on a ghetto street somewhere with a drug pusher. The best high in the world is the most high. Hallelujah. And this is the moment where the gospel story with a story of the Bible intersects with your story. I love it when the Word of God says that He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let me just tell you today, when the Word of God comes, Paul said, it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes it. Christianity for every individual has to start somewhere. It all has a, a date of commencement on it. When you're born again, you get a date of commencement upon your life, the day that you went from death to life, from sin to salvation and freedom. And here's the point. And man, I want to shout this from the housetops as loud as I possibly can. Jesus is calling for you. He did what he did for you. Painstakingly, for me to know that story, thousands of people gave their lives to make sure that this generation knew that God so loved this world that he gave the only son he had. That whosoever believes, do you believe? Then, you'll, then you will not perish. doesn't mean you won't die. It just means you won't die and go to hell. It means you'll live now and you'll keep living forever in the presence of God. You say, well, that, that seems a little cloudy, a little mystical, Pastor Pat. That's because you're here. Stop breathing and you'll find out immediately. That what he said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am there, you may be also. God said, I want you where I am and I want you there real close and forever. My father's house are many mansions. He's preparing the way for many of us. It might be that today you need to make your reservation. Let him make his, let that reservation come. You open up your heart and you say yes to Jesus. And Lord, if you can do a fraction of what you did with the Apostle Paul who was in massive rebellion against you. And Lord, if you can change him, what could you do with a guy like me or with a girl like you? What could he do with us? I don't know, but it's going to be fun to find out. Bow your heads with me across the room. And those of you, would you take a moment? Don't log off yet. Pray with me. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, maybe today would be that day that you would simply open your heart and say yes to the Son of God's invitation to you. Today can be that day that salvation and freedom and joy, almost a joy you can't describe why. You just have this burden lifted off of you. It's the burden of sin, the burden of guilt. It all leaves the moment Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. 
Oh, there's lots of things to learn, but it starts somewhere. Let it start by calling upon the name of the Lord. Romans chapter 10 says, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All that simply means if you call upon him, he's coming. Before we end up praying here, and those of you who are watching online in our service with us, and I'm so glad that you're a part of our service today. Maybe you're in the room today and you say, Pastor Pat, you know, I feel the nudge. Something on the inside of me is telling me that today is the day to stop fooling around the gospel and receive the gospel. To, to stop knocking it away and start pulling it in. Allowing Jesus to have his full effect upon my life. To begin to rid me of all the, the bondage and the confusion and the bitterness and the anger and the, all the different things that need to leave. And let Jesus begin that work. And he does it best from the inside out. You don't clean up and come to God. You come to God just as filthy as you come. And from the inside out, he begins to wash you and make you a brand new creature in Christ. And today, that promise of new creature realities can begin to emerge upon your mind and upon your soul and upon your heart and upon your, out, your life. And the way that you do it, today it can begin. You just simply have to call upon him. And before we pray, I just want to know who I'm praying for. I'm not calling you forward. I'm not certainly asking you to, call, to come forward if you're not in the building, but, but I do want you to respond. For those of you online, there's a button to push that just says, raise the hand. I need Jesus. Pastor Pat, don't leave me out of this prayer. I know I need God in my life, and I believe. I really believe. Well, that's all you have to do is believe. It starts right there. If you're in this room today, you say, Pastor Pat, I need to get right with God. If that's you right now, I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. Just want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you, lift your hand wherever you are right now. Pastor Pat, don't leave me out of this prayer. I need God in my life. I see you. I see you get back there. God bless you. Raise your hand wherever you are. Pastor Pat, I need to get right with God. If that's you, those of you, just punch that button. I see you. Just punch that button on your screen right now. I need God in my life, Pastor Pat. Don't leave me out of that prayer. We won't, darling. You call upon the name of the Lord and you're going to be saved. I want you to lift up your voice with me, those of you online. Pray this prayer right out loud with all your heart. God's about to do something amazing in your life. It's the reason why the Bible is written is this moment right here. Pray this with me out loud, everybody. Dear God in heaven, I come in the name of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Thank you, Lord that you would be willing to die in my place on a Roman cross. Then you rose from the dead and you're alive to hear this prayer. Come into my life. Be the Lord of who I am. I need a compass. Teach me how to live. In Jesus' name, I receive you today and I know I'll never be the same. Let the changes begin. Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name. Come on, give me a good amen. Amen. Come on, God's good. Woo! Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at LWC Dayton and on Facebook at Living Word Dayton.